So I'm gonna need a tissue sample from you And I'm gonna need a blood sample from you Look out! Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, Eric Kaur interviews Ralph Spike. He's a singer-songwriter known for his work in the band's Victims Family and Freak Accident, among several other projects. His most recent project is Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio, this one entitled Guitar Ninja, featuring Ralph Spite. I'm gonna need a DNA sample from you And I was wondering if I could borrow a double helix from you Welcome to Music Life Radio. My name is Eric Kaur from the band Gunpowder, and I'll be the host tonight. And with me, I have our guest, Ralph Spite, from the band's victim family, Jello Biafra and the Guantanamo School of Medicine, among probably about 5,000 other projects you've done. And uh, the man who I, probably the only person I know who actually has Guitar Ninja on his business cards. <laughs> so can we start there? What, what, what does it mean to be a Guitar Ninja? I don't know. It's just a marketing ploy, I think. It's... Uh Come on, I've seen you play guitar, so it's more than a marketing <laughs> boy. <laughs> well, I don't know. You got to stick out from uh, all of you know among the rest <clears throat> of the guitar teachers. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's always been kind of my uh, quest, I guess, in playing music and being a guitar player to sort of master every aspect of uh, music. And so, for a long time. Um, like kind of in my early 20s i really tried to master the art of um soloing or improvisation and that kind of thing because i've been playing guitar since uh, i was about 12 or 13 and uh, sort of in college and i'd just been playing kind of like rhythm guitar rock stuff mm -hmm. and i wanted to stretch out so i spent a few years like really getting involved in that and like really trying to be a great instrumentalist and all those kinds of things and then after a while, I just kind of got bored of of that, and um, and I liked the stuff I'd been writing with Victims' Family. is really complex uh, musically and everything, but um, I kind of became more fascinated with songs, you know. So then I'll get fascinated with songs for a while and how to um, do, you know, write songs, and then I would get like, you know, interested in trying to be um, a good singer, you know, like actually be able to sing well. And um, <clears throat> and then I kind of got disinterested in guitar altogether and just started like playing, you know, keyboards and then I'll get all stoked on guitar again, you know. So to me, it's always about like trying to challenge myself in some other direction. Like I, I really do. I want to master every aspect of performing and recording and like because it's all there's so much to learn and so much to um, experience and. And it's just um, getting the tools to be able to be better equipped to just to um, bring music out, to be able to write music, to be able to compose music and perform music, you know. So that's, you know, that's kind of, if I had to explain Guitar Ninja, that's what the, that would be all about, you know. Okay. So. Yeah, I was imagining more there was something to do with a all-black suit and... Well, yeah, there's that there's, too. Okay, uh, okay, okay. So there's a uh, there's costumery as well. Good, good, and, and sure. uh, throwing stars instead of uh, picks. I'm assuming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I should really work on that a little bit. Maybe that's the next thing I need to. Well, work I've seen on. you you tear up string, tear through strings. So uh, I think strings there's something there's a lot to of it. broken it's, strings. Yeah, for so. sure. Cool, cool. Uh, so what what actually got you interested in music? I mean, what was what were your early foundations? Well, um, I got, I kind of always tell the story about <clears throat> I was. Uh, I had a really bad accident when I was four years old. I had a, uh, went through a window. I was playing Superman, like I was uh, sliding around on the floor in my wool socks, and I sliced my arms open, and like I almost died. Like I had a bunch of stitches, and I had to have physical therapy and everything. And I come from a musical family, uh, but as part of my kind of um, uh, 
physical therapy, my, my mother had me take piano lessons to kind of get my, my fingers back working. And, uh, and then, um, and I played piano and I would even do this when I was, you know, young, like elementary school, I would come home from school and I would like try to learn songs off the radio and learn how to play them on piano. And everybody was playing. My brothers, you know, played piano and guitar and things like that. My mother was really good, um, pianist and um you know my folks had divorced early on but my dad was a guitar player and a sax player and stuff and so there was like uh there was always music around it was just definitely part of our thing and then my brother um was playing in bands like had all these cover bands where they're playing leonard skinner songs and stone songs and they played keggers and stuff like that and uh and did you go along to that stuff or yeah yeah i mean that was kind of like the beginnings of my you know misspent youth is like uh trying to um you know follow him around to these and he's like three years older than me so you know he'd be like 15 16 i'd be like 12 so you got to play roadie and well you know i just kind of like or at least say you're the roadie to get at the door yeah right exactly (laughs) it's just you know i mean anyway so he was like um but uh basically my mom my mom would be working and my brothers were ostensibly watching me you know but my brother would be having band practice in the living room in the afternoon like while my mom was out at work and uh and so i watched um like him and his friends playing bar chords like how i learned how to play bar chords and i started sneaking into my brother's room trying to like you know learn to rock and then i got an acoustic guitar for my 12th birthday and uh so by this point you'd already been playing piano for a while i've been playing piano for probably about seven years or five no like about five or six years you know so so um so yeah that's how music started and then uh you know i mean i'm 51 so like i was uh you know coming into my formative years in the early 70s and uh and so it was like early mid 70s and then um you know so it's rock and roll led zeppelin and right. like you know nugent and all these things and like smoking weed and going to day on the green and stuff like that you know like living in concord and uh getting on bart and going to day on the green and <laughs> you know like going to see <clears throat> i saw acdc with bond like three times when wow. i was like 15 you know and like all these crazy you know big rock concerts so like into the big rock star thing grew my hair long you know just like all that kind of thing and um and started you know getting guitars and jamming with people playing in bands i actually just got in touch with uh like the first guy that i ever like played music with mm-hmm. and um like we've become buddies on facebook he's been out to a few shows uh of mine and um we just like got back in touch and then i was going through some stuff um like i was going through some bags of like sheet music that belonged to my mother and there was like a uh, lyrics like from a song that he and i like the first song that we wrote together like when i was like 15 or something oh, cool. I just kind of like scanned it and i like sent it to him like, on this facebook message like dude here's our song you know so it's pretty fun so pretty jerry cool. and i used to play like alice cooper covers and stuff you know so did were you in, was your instinct to play it pretty much straight up or did you try and tailor things to give it your own sound did you did you have a sense of your sound at that point or no i don't i don't think i did i mean i i i mean i think anything resembling my sound wasn't really it was i mean it the basis was in sort of like classic rock but i don't think that I think really where that got all synthesized was, as I was talking about, um, I was sort of, I, I got into punk rock, like I discovered punk rock sort of the um, summer after my senior year of high school, right after I graduated high school. Okay. And, uh, it's from 76, 77? No, it was later, it was like 81. I okay, started going okay. to like hardcore shows. Cool. And, um so yeah, I mean, we were living in Concord, and then all my brothers had moved out. I'm the youngest, and all my brothers had moved out, so it was just me and my mom at home. And my mom wanted to make a uh, career change, so she became a psychiatric technician, and we moved up to Sonoma County, and uh, you know, from Concord, and uh, and <clears throat> I, you know, moved to Sonoma, the town of Sonoma, and I ended up in this like you know, sm- really small town, and like you know ended up playing a jazz band and then when i went to santa rosa jc i started taking improvisation courses and about that same time it was the same time i started discovering punk rock and going to shows like at the mab and on broadway and like all the places that were happening in san francisco in the early 80s 
And um, so I was kind of getting this immersion in sort of jazz technique at the same time I was getting uh, really excited about this fast, like, hardcore punk rock music. Because mm-hmm. it was, like, exactly the kind of thing that... I mean, it was it was like somebody had done what I had imagined, like, music should be. Like, I, I was into... Uh, heavy music it was into metal but it just didn't really seem like anything like that really like even metal or punk really existed until for me in my world Mm. you know and then i got turned on to what was actually happening in underground rock and um and especially in the bay area and uh and you know and it was like um it was like i it was perfect because I was angry. I was young. I was uh, um, I was dissatisfied with things as they were, you know, politically, and you know, it was the Reagan era and right. everything. And then here was this soundtrack that was like angry and at all the same things I was pissed off at, and uh, and um, and it was this new music, and it seemed like I kept getting faster and faster and faster, and uh, <clears throat> and then at a certain point, it sort of became. Like it was crossing over into <clears throat> this kind of metal thing that I wasn't really into, but so when Victim's Family started, it was it was sort of a conscious thing that we you know just like everyone was going faster, 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 and we just wanted to go kind of weirder, weirder, weirder. start again 84 is when victim's family started okay so i mean i had a band with some guys like the a friend of mine uh from high school uh from sonoma like right right kind of out at the end of high school and then like right after high school we had a band for about three years uh that played around sonoma county and um and we played a bunch of shows and wrote like a ton of songs and had a bunch of cover songs like we could go out and play like three hour sets between original materials and covers so you actually had a band that could make money <clears throat> not really i mean we still didn't make money it was oh, still okay. really about like just having just a party having or whatever okay. but it was and it wasn't like necessarily a punk band like my friend matt was really good at he was he was really good i learned really a lot about watching about writing songs from him like from him and my brother hmm. uh and uh, one of the things about it, writing songs was just um, it was just the idea that nobody told them that they couldn't do it. You know, like my brother just basically decided that he could write songs, you know, and it turned out he was pretty good at it. You know, I, I can, that's actually how I learned to write music. No one ever said I couldn't. Yeah, was, exactly. It's, and I couldn't play worth a shit. So I right. started writing things that I could play and they turned into songs. So I, yeah. I, I completely understand that. Yeah, no, and I and I think that's uh, to, to de- demystify it completely. I think that for uh for people that are, you know, aspiring musicians and songwriters and stuff, it's really just um, cuz I see so many people struggling with it um, and it's really I think it's just about really deciding that it's okay that you can do it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, ultimately. Well, I, I think it's I, I one of the things I always enjoyed about it was just watching patterns emerge. Right. Because you start seeing things, oh, what, what, this makes sense here. 
and suddenly it's it's a song and yeah and uh and it's so much about not being in control of the process right and i think a lot of people get stumbled when they they think i'm going to write a song and they sit down to intentionally do it and nothing comes out and Right, and I also think so much really depends on uh, um, really kind of finding your own voice in that way, meaning um, a lot of people set out to start a band. It's like, we want to start this kind of band that sounds mm -hmm. like these people, like this kind of... And when you do that, you automatically, um, you sort of stunt your creative growth by doing that because you don't you put these parameters on what's allowable right and so um when you do that you you kind of sabotage your creative process because it's really about becoming open to whatever inspiration is hitting you so i got songs that are you know um and i'm constantly having this you know continuing to write stuff for victims family off and on you know because we're still sort of doing stuff we mm -hmm. made a single last year we haven't really been producing a lot of stuff but i've been writing i've like three hard drives full of songs like that oh, wow. recorded you know i mean it's like i've got and but it's in every single kind of possible genre of rock you know right. i mean it's um so that's that's kind of my downfall really as i go so far on the other extreme that i kind of like you know um you know i I'm a kind of like a marketing nightmare, you know, like there's no <laughs> way. To... <laughs> but I, I think there used to be a sense that, um, that bands could, um, do a, any number of things. I mean, mm. you know, you look at Bowie, right? I mean, Bowie yeah. would do a Bowie will do anything, you know, and, and own it. Like, you know, because he, he can write in any kind of like the, the sheer, just variety of of things that he's written through his career, um, you know, and I mean, and he's he's smart enough where, you know, he knows how to make a record, right? Right. And you do kind of have to think about it, that in a way when you're if you're trying to make records that people will, you know, listen well, to. Kind of like Linda Ronstadt too. I mean, she's done everything. Right. And it's always good. Right. You right. Know, it's well, people that are just so talented, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, there's plenty of examples of that. The reason I bring up Bowie, though, is because he's because uh, he can really work in just about any genre, yeah. and it's still relevant and it's still actually cohesive too. When it's still very much Bowie, yeah. I, I think one of the things I notice is certain songwriters kind of lose themselves to the genre, right? Right. Where, That's what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Where he's always like Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is always Johnny Cash, so he doesn't go between genres but there's always a very clear this is who this person this is where it's coming from well this is one of the things i actually talked to jello about you know is um because his um his delivery his voice mm -hmm. his persona is so instantly recognizable to anybody who knows him oh yeah and i heard him do uh there was a a piece that he did with um Vinnie Spit from Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, who kind of works more in sort of a, I don't want to say electronic, but he works, he's kind of almost in the realm of like fetus or something where he's like building things off samples and okay. there's like, uh, um, anyway, um, so he, he, Biafra did a thing with, with Vinnie and it was very, um, sort of like horns and kind of like 60s exotica kind of thing but Biafra singing right and and when I heard it I was like that man you should do more stuff like that because like he's one of those people where once you hear his voice it's automatically punk rock like right. no matter what the instrumentation no matter what's going on behind it it's like he's one of those people that's like completely recognizable and and uh and so and iconic in that way where and i think you know so like you talk about bowie because right. he has that delivery and and you know just and is a great singer too it's one thing i miss about the early punk rock too with every singer well not everyone but it seemed like they were striving for that uniqueness and that specialness and the guitar players the singers i mean every member seemed to be looking for their voice yeah and that and that gets back to what we were talking about before is not limiting not limiting yourself to genres, especially punk rock is very 
you know, it's very regimented. It's very right. um, in in the way that it is now. You know, I mean, it's strange because I do you know a lot of touring and I see like these large punk rock festivals, and it's it's a little bit sad bec- in a way because it's kind of like. Um, there's not new bands coming up doing that, even though there's tons of bands doing that. Right. But like when when you go to these large punk festivals, it's like, you know, trotting out the old dinosaurs like me, you know. Well, that's <laughs> why I, that's and, why I see the the posters because I on Facebook I'll get feeds from like GBH and uh-huh. all these bands. I'm like, I know all these bands from 20 years ago. Right. And exactly. it's fantastic. But yeah, yeah. where is no? I mean, you see GBH blood? now, and they rock. I mean, but, they're so great, right? But, you yeah, know, where it's, but but it's like it's not, um, it's not growing, or it's right. not like, or I, I can't say that because there are bands that are sort of you know playing whatever at that level that are you know more recent or whatever. But by and large, it's you know, uh, and I think that punk rock you know kind of came to destroy all that. You know, just that <clears throat> that idea that there's this sort of rock star hierarchy, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of like, again, you know, as we were saying in our discussion before, we sort of lo- lose the, the reason uh, for why we think we're here, you know. Exactly. Well, it seems like they broke all the limits, then they reestablished them. Right. And then, you know. Well, did they? I mean, it's like, did they or did, you know, those of us who came after the initial? Because, you know, you look at early San Francisco punk rock, early New York punk rock is a very diverse uh, musical group of, you know, just freaky people doing freaky music. And uh, when there were bands that wouldn't be considered punk rock now, like the the Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're part of that scene, yet no one would, no one coming up today would even remotely consider that a connection. Right, right. Which is why now, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I love good three chord punk rock Mm -hmm. song, you know, I mean, like I write them, I listen to them, I, you know, but I also like to listen to all different kinds of stuff, you know, like I listen to like, you know, I'm driving cabs, you know, I'm like listening to techno or like whatever, like I just want, I want to, I want to stay curious to things that are outside of um my musical norm because yeah. i really i hate it also like trying to play with musicians like i don't do that i don't do that like because i think about frank zappa you know like um i mean i'm not like a huge frank zappa fan but i think i mean i totally respect his contribution you know right. and I, there's like probably no one i would rather listen to take a guitar solo than frank zappa like i could listen to that fucking guy solo all night long i mean it's like some of the best rock soloing you can ever hear is frank zappa on any night but the thing about him is you know like his approach because he would sort of cut and paste and layer and uh play in a bunch of different genres like he had to have kind of a vision of what it was like to play a doo-wop song and what it's like to play a country song and what it's like to play a reggae song like and and to see the thing is you don't have to love all those kinds of music you know but you have to get into why they work you know i think as a musician like i'm always listening to something and i don't really care if it's like music i like my my um or like quote unquote but it's like um how well does it do what it sets out to do is what i really am and so i don't care if it's like commercial rock or like you know fucking techno or like you know dance music or you know and i do like a lot of different kinds of of stuff i think um and you know, I, I think he said something, Zappa, about stock, kind of like stock modules, you know, like sort of like, you know, you can I can plug in my little ska riff right here right. And, and this and that. And I think as a musician, you have to be curious about things right out, like outside of your realm of focus. I thought I saw you at the 7 I blinked and then you went and disappeared. I thought I saw you at the laundromat Someone who looks like you now just thinks I'm weird I called your old telephone number I hung up at the star 69 I think I see you everywhere I look these 
you That's why I'm never going back to Petaluma Till I can buy the place and burn it to the ground I'm never going back to Petaluma Till all I see your ashes all around Well don't you look for me down by the river And don't you look for me down by the square guitar player you know it's like that's what I do right but I think um, you know I've also gone through phases where I'm like I'm so fucking bored of the guitar I've been playing the guitar you know since I could fucking breathe practically so it's like <clears throat> you know like I get bored of the possibilities so it's like uh, Larry and I after Victim's Family broke up the second time like he started the band with this guy Jason called Saturn's Flea Collar and they needed a guitar player and I you know and I was available because our band had just broken up right. so they <laughs> called me and uh, and my thing at the beginning of that band was like how can I make this guitar sound as much not like a guitar as possible you know like how can I take this especially because Victim's Family was very much a guitar based drums like I I didn't right. really use effects I used like a chorus box like that was it you know it wasn't in the days before guitar players had to have like you know three suitcases full of fucking the effects, effects pedals you know and, yeah right. like uh, well you know it's all pedal boards now like in the 80s everybody I, had I just remember the metal bands with the racks yeah the racks <clears throat> So. I'm actually playing with a guy right now. Like I play bass in this one band where this guy, is, you know, he's got like the rack and the whole thing, but his back's all fucking blown out, so he can't even carry it around. You know, he's got like four, four twelves in this fucking giant rack thing, but he can't even carry it. The last time I saw somebody use a rack like that, he had one guitar tone that he played with for the entire thing, and I'm like, seriously, yeah, you have 500 pounds of racks. Right. And one tone. Yes. With Jello, we did uh, a couple of shows opening for Tool, and uh, I was actually really uh, blown away by Adam Jones because like, um, he's got like three amps. There's like three amps on stage. They're all sort of, I don't know how he's wired, wired it out. Um, and I don't think he has like racks of uh, effects and stuff. He might. Um, but he only has two guitars. And they're identical, like mm -hmm. these two. And I was so blown away by that. It's like, because uh, I also, uh, we did some festival with Jello uh, where Muse was headlining. And, uh, and so I got to watch Muse from the wings. And those fucking guys, like, he fucking changes guitars, like, sometimes in the middle of songs. I mean, he's got, like, wow. I don't even know how many of the guitars and basses those dudes have, but it's, like, ridiculous how many they have. So seeing Adam Jones and he's got, like, two guitars... You know, and definitely covering all the bases and right. everything, you know. So, pretty interesting. That's cool. People's different approaches to what they need, you know. Yeah. You were and talking a little bit about uh, Jell-O's, the songwriting process that you do with Jell-O uh -huh. in the Guantanamo Bay School of Medicine. And uh, I thought it was really interesting because I don't often hear about a singer driving the song the way you described the process i was wondering if you could just talk about that a little bit because i thought that was very interesting yeah well beoff is really interesting uh in that way because he um he's basically got the songs mapped out in his head before you know he comes to teach it to us and you know i think what i told you was 
you were asking me like does he play an instrument or anything i said no you know basically he just goes na 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 and then i try to find it on the guitar na 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 and like translate it into musical you know into like musician yeah. speak you know so the guy doesn't play anything but he's got he's really got uh, an amazing grasp of composition uh for someone who's basically a non-musician you know because yeah, the songs you're doing with him are pretty complex yeah yeah i mean there's many parts and there's actually and things are orchestrated really in in a way and uh so yeah that really blew my mind it's been really interesting to watch him i actually learned quite a lot about um orchestrating or uh, that's probably the wrong word but sort of like counterpoint between you know two guitars because mm. <clears throat> i played somewhat with other guitar players but by and large victim's family was a trio um the whole time but then most of the situations i played in have been with chemo ball uh who's the other guitar player mm -hmm. in jello's band and um he actually we did one victim's family record that had a bunch of extra parts keyboard parts extra guitar parts and things like that and so when we toured with that we brought chemo to play a guitar and, and oh, okay, uh, cool. so we'd done that and then we also had played <clears throat> larry and i had both played with chemo before in plainfield so when we were both in that for a while mm -hmm. and um so you know like we all kind of go way back but um biafra you know he's got it all mapped out in his head he already he already hears it and you know to the point of like solo kind of thing you know telling you what the solo would sort of be like and uh now if i remember he's got kind of a, an eidetic memory where he he pretty much remembers everything that he ever encounters yeah and yeah, so pretty, i'm assuming none of this is written down it's just he just shows up and i mean he's got lyric sheets and everything but then what he'll do is it would be kind of like he'd be staring at the lyric sheet and he would kind of access he would like close his eyes and sort of like stare up and sort of you know kind of like let me see if i can find the note like you know help me find that note so like maybe i'll give him like a reference point mm -hmm. note and then he would like hum it out na, 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 you know like kind of thing and then we me, me, me. <laughs> so that's pretty cool yeah so basically how that songwriting process has worked for the last you know for well i guess the entire you know time we've had that band has been basically either myself or chemo will probably go over to jello's house and uh with like an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar and a small amp and like a tape recorder and he'll do the na 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 thing and then we'll you know figure it out and they'll do like it we'll do a or he'll come here to my studio and we'll sort of you know bash things out with like one or two guitars and kind of get like some kind of demo version together mm -hmm. to give to the entire band so here's how it goes and that kind of thing and then um and then we can actually sit down and rehearse it you know so it, it needs to have that one layer of translating it from his mind into guitar speak so it makes it really strange too because because he doesn't play guitar it's never the way a guitar player would do it you know so it's it's sort yeah. of it's not comfortable things for you to do uh, Though just, I think that's one of the things that makes it sound so interesting, right? And that's why it's it's sort of like um, like if you write a song on piano and then you try to translate it into guitar, it's sometimes you get something really interesting because it's not based on guitar riffage, right? Like the kind of I don't know, just sort of the just sort of the offhand kind of things you do as a guitar player. So to be have that kind of stripped away you get into well it's more like traditional composition actually well, i suppose I your think. jazz background helps a lot in that though too i guess my i i always blanch at people talking about my jazz background because it's <laughs> well when you talk to punk musicians and say you, you've got a you know i'm sure it's probably different than if you're talking to straight right. up jazz musicians right, right? exactly yeah All just right. kind of like i don't want to overstate my jazz background <laughs> <laughs> So, well, how's that? I mean, so is that as a musician, has that helped you grow or? If, yeah, sure. So. I mean, it's like, I, I think the, I mean, I think the whole point for me to keep it interesting over years and years and years of playing is you have to stay, have this kind of try to get excited and be surprised about music. And it's interesting to just work with new different people all the time, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, and uh you know and he's definitely i mean he's got a talent for composition that most people can't really even um touch you know yeah. like um 
So yeah, it's been great. You know, like as I said, I learned a lot. We are the Illuminati's Yada food chain. We devour. How many projects do you have going at this moment? I mean, well, um, active so, and semi-active. Yeah, what am I doing? Um, so, Jello Biar from the Guantanamo School of Medicine. That's like that's kind of the what's taking most of my time right now. Right. So uh, we put out our sort of fourth release last year, and um, we've been playing shows and touring and um, sort of beginning to think about the next release. Uh, and so Victim's Family, um, I, I've decided to, take a, to, decided to take a little time off like the beginning of this year from Victim's Family because I have other projects that I'm sort of like, I'm trying to do, I, I had this band Freak Accident for mm -hmm. a few years yeah. where I did a couple of uh, records there and um, I had some new material and I was wondering whether it was sort of appropriate for Victim's Family and we kind of like went through it and basically decided that it wasn't so I'm kind of like going off and either making a, another Freak Accident record or, uh, or it's going to be something else but right. I'm, I'm like in the middle of doing that right now um, so it's I've been recording things at home and in the studio uh, just kind of like trying to get the songs together and then deciding whether I should just build them off of build them up in the studio mm -hmm. or whether I want to rehearse some musicians to learn those songs and uh, and just like record them live in the studio so I'm sort of oh, cool. right in the middle of that right now victims family you know like we keep playing shows um, off and on and it's our 30th anniversary this year so oh, we're hoping cool. to do something um, possibly tour uh, later in the year um, and some some shows and uh, it's just it's difficult for us to get together and write because of the geographical um, distances involved mm -hmm. with our drummer living in uh, Nevada City I mean it's not really oh okay but it's also he does a lot of work I mean Larry Larry's playing with Jello now after um, he's been he's been in Guantanamo School of Medicine since for about six or eight months now um and uh and so larry and i've been busy with that and then uh and then tim does a lot of roadie work mm -hmm. so he's traveling a lot touring uh, as a tech for other bands so it's it's pretty challenging for us to get together and write material um we did do a seven inch oh was that last year the year before mm -hmm. came out at the end of 2012 and uh actually there's a video that just kind of got done for that song oh, have cool. a nice day i can show it to you yeah. when we're done it's pretty great and um so that'll be out actually soon and uh so there's that um i i my best friend uh in the 80s was my friend jake um and when I was living in Sonoma County, he was the bass player in Moto Stillbirth, uh, which is a Sonoma County band mm -hmm. from back then. And uh, Jake died in a fire down here um, 
on Potrero Hill in 1987, and I inherited his bass and also then became the bass player in Moto Stillbirth and played with them for a couple oh, of years okay. until uh, until um, until Victim's family got too busy and um, and then they sort of disappeared. But we actually have started playing again, and so I've been playing bass with those guys recently. And we're going to start playing some shows. And uh, so I, I've had, you know, various things off and on. That's what's going on right now. Okay. So so you're keeping busy, in other words. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of like I got my fingers in a lot of things and it's hard to make, <laughs> hard to make forward progress with, uh, with any of it. I, re- I want to get this solo-ish new freak accident stuff out. There's actually a whole, there's like a freak accident EP that's in the can with one song that's on a hard drive that's dead like uh so i have to revive this hard drive and then i can really uh release this record i think it can be done though so either that or i have to stick with the mix of the one song that i have so cool but i need to pump the guitars a little bit (laughs) (laughs) so what i've uh, just reflecting back on what you've done what what are some of the just the strangest or craziest memories you have of, of either playing music being on the road well, I suppose, uh, I mean, early on, Victim's Family, I mean, it was so strange because we were just interviewed for a, a, a film, um, it's actually that the Green Day guys are putting putting out, um, and it was initially going to be about them, uh, but then they kind of decided that they needed to be talking about Gilman and the associated scenes around that in the East Bay okay. punk rock scene. And so uh, Corbett Redford, mm-hmm. you know Corbett? Yeah, yeah. Corbett. so Corbett uh, is actually producing this thing and doing producing the interviews. Oh, and, wow. um, so he's been interviewing a lot of people from that era. So we were talking about uh, in that a lot about sort of that era of when Victim's Family first came up and we, we started playing... Uh, we we actually went on our first tour before we had a record or before we had T-shirts before we had anything. We just like went out like booked a tour in 1985, like halfway across the country and played. And that in the second tour in 1987, where we went all the way around the country in just like three months. It was just like wow, most ridiculous kind of low rent like booking the tour from phone booths you know i was gonna like, say that was a hard time to do that stuff because there's no internet there's yeah. no i mean it's, no it's like proto like i had a i had a binder with a bunch of you know people's right names in it and like you know hot credit like heart hot phone card you know right. credit card <laughs> numbers <laughs> and like you know going like going to phone booths and sort of like putting all these numbers in and then sort of like calling some weird stranger and then like hey can we play at your place and then crash on your floor you know so that 87 tour was crazy because you know i mean it was just <laughs> ridiculous i mean the car i think the van broke down before we even left sonoma county you know oh, and then wow. like uh and then like it really broke down after the, the like first real show in fresno and then uh you know driving around playing like then we like spent three days getting it fixed and drove 24 hours down to, to El Paso to play a show in front of like six people with bomb. And then, uh, you know, am- like in Amarillo, like the club owner, like opened up the drawer desk, like we were demanding money and he opened the, de- the desk drawer in the office. And like, there's a gun in there and like, you know, calling the cops. And, <laughs> and then we got all our stuff ripped off in, in, uh, in Oklahoma and like you know I hit up my dad for some money so we could buy some amps you know as we go to, oh wow we go to Dallas and play a show on this new gear that we bought and then we got so drunk that we like missed the show in New Orleans and then ended up like staying with these girls for like a week in New Orleans and just like taking acid and just like <laughs> and this just goes and this is like that's like the first like three weeks and this tour went on for like three months we got oh my god we got like you know, I like parked in a two hour zone in Philadelphia for two, two weeks. You know, I like, uh, we got kicked out of Canada and told not to come back for a year. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, you know, we finally decided to bag it after this show, uh, outside Cincinnati and drive all the way home. <clears throat> and then we got all the way to Wells, Nevada and the transmission just died in the van. And so we sent like Larry and our roadie home on, on the bus I mean, the drummer sat there, like, drinking uh, free 
booze from the ca- from the casino, you know, oh, like. Wow. <laughs> so that was like, you know, you know, weird times like selling uh, blood plasma to get gas money and shit like that, you know, like begging for uh, food from uh, the food court at Niagara Falls. I mean, all kinds of crazy shit, man. <laughs> So tour life on the road is a little different now then. It is, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot different. And then, you know, I mean, it was strange because it was only a couple of years after that. I mean, basically that tour, uh, <laughs> pretty much, um, our drummer, our first drummer, Devin Vermeer, just basically quit music after that tour. It was just like, forget <laughs> it. You know, I think he played drums for about six more months and then wow. he's just like never been uh, heard from again. He moved to Lake County and became a construction worker and just forget about it. You know, great drummer too. Jesus. Yeah. Um, but then we got Tim who had been our roadie and watched Devin, uh, play a lot. And well, actually we had another guy, Eric Strand, uh, who's actually the guy, the drummer in Moto Stillbirth, who I'm still playing with again today. But um, so we had Eric for about six months, which was like our first European tour. So like within a couple of years, within a couple of years, like we got this offer to go play in Europe, and then wow, uh, cool. and then you know like things started really rolling. So it was kind of um, it was amazing because really those early tours almost like killed us, you know, and then. Uh, and then things kind of started moving and our third record did really well so um so it kind of like made it possible for us to continue to to keep playing and everything you know so then then things got you know reasonable you know we right. sort of got a <clears throat> we sort of got a handle on how to survive doing it a little bit you know and so that's um so that's how it that's how that went <laughs> so <clears throat> those are pretty crazy experiences i mean you know it's like i've i've been really fortunate you know i've like had a really incredible career in music i mean sometimes i think about like oh man what am i doing you know it's like I'm in my 50s you know i'm like still playing these like crazy punk rock dives you know like but i've had some really incredible experiences i mean uh this year i guess i'm going on my like 25th tour in europe i'm like wow, you know cool. i and, uh, you know, like when I was over there like weeks before the Berlin Wall came down, I've kind of like watched that whole, you know, the reunification of Germany, like the, just the just kind of watched history happen by being able to travel all these places, I'd say. And then playing with Jello is really interesting, too, because then there's I mean, not that Victim's family wasn't political, but not really at the level that he his. Right. thing is identifiable as political so we, i mean we've had some really interesting experiences uh playing with him i think that really the most profound one i think was uh playing in belgrade in in serbia which is a place that you know only 10 years before like we bombed them you right. know like and um and there's still parts of the city that are still ruined and to talk to people about like we've got this sort of uneasy peace there now but um, they really, their their feeling is that really it's just kind of a a pause between sort of spasms, you know, in the history of that region of the world. I mean, we played in Croatia right around the time when the civil war was starting there. Like we come oh, out of the, wow. come out of the club and it's like pop 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 pop. You know, it's wow. like, I mean, just really well, that could happen in Oakland too, though. I mean. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's not it's not a declared war, I guess, you know. But yeah, that can happen. Sure. Okay, let's play a game with the map of the world. We'll call it Bridge. And then you roll the dice so you can get more armies, so you can conquer the world. And then you bomb, torture, rape, and pillage. Oh, that's cool. Um, I'm just curious. You've done so many projects with so many people, and you've got to work with you know some amazing people. Do you have a, a, a dream project or a dream situation? Have you ever thought like, oh, if I could only play with this person <coughs> or do this thing? Is there anything that you've ever really wanted to do that you haven't been able mm. to? Not sure. I think I had a fantasy about playing with John Zorn for a while. 
Never really got that off the ground, though. Yeah. You know. Uh, could happen. Put it out there. Um, you never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, you never know who's listening. Mm-hmm. I've never played in Japan yet, and actually, I think one of the things I want to do, I would really like to do, is actually go to Japan and collaborate with a lot of people because I really like the uh, just the whole aesthetic of like Japanese noise music and mm-hmm. and the punk rock thing over there. Just the way that they kind of think about it, I think, is um, just really interesting. It's just very, you know, it's just alien to the to the Western kind of culture and yeah. i just like i i just think being challenged by something like that i mean i would really like to collaborate with you know a lot of people like that or at that sort of level um and then at the same time you know i my writing these days is a lot more about kind of trying to do things with words and and trying to say things you know like kind of more song driven you mm-hmm. know so it's interesting because a lot of my uh, ambitions for sort of collaboration have more to do with kind of like musicianship, kind of sort of like, you know, playing kind of stuff. Um, but when I'm, I'm kind of back in a whole phase where I'm sort of thinking more about songs than I am about, you know. Uh, but I think it's possible to actually do, you know, more than one thing at once, mm-hmm. um, you know. It's really about, I think so much of being an artist and being a musician is really about, um, it's actually about kind of about having your shit together. Like I, and that's the thing I think, like a lot of us get into it thinking it's going to, you know, be this sort of one kind of lifestyle, you know, there's yeah. this romanticized like, you know, drug thing <laughs> that you're going to, you know, sex and drugs thing that, you know, you think is going to happen, but the that's, reality that, that's is you a have quick to burn. Well, that's that is that's a quick way to yeah leave a beautiful corpse and all that. But it's like, but the thing is, is like it's just like anything else. Like you gotta fucking get up in the morning and like go catch the fucking flight or you know like get in the right. van and drive like fourteen fucking hours. I mean, you gotta the the reality of what it is to to play music versus <clears throat> what people think it is is totally you know. Is ridiculous, and I think a lot of people get into it thinking there's not going to be work. And I, I, I really believe that, you know, there's always going to be more work. You yeah. know, it's 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 always going to be more work. But you know, it's the kind of work you want to do because I, I really take a lot of satisfaction from kind of every aspect of it. It's sort of like the musical thing that I was talking about, like. I think you also have to kind of master every aspect of what it is to be a musician. Like you have to have your head on, you have to know, like, you know, you have to make sure you're not getting screwed, you know, and you have to learn how to talk to people. Like you have to, uh, 99% of the success the victim's family had, I think, you know, had to do with the fact of like, you go and you crash at somebody's house and you do the fucking dishes when you're done. You know, like you you just mm-hmm. like you're a pleasure to like you're you're fun to work with. Right. Like I think that goes a long way and that's where people get caught up in their egos and like I shouldn't have to, you know, like that it's just really about like showing up and being a human being with people and they really and they respond to that. And I, I find it really important to think about whoever's listening to my stuff as like thinking like intelligent people mm-hmm. rather than, you know, I, I mean, I it's just this, uh, yeah. Like kind of having respect for your audience, you know? Cool. Yeah. No, I, I, so much of what you said, I, I really identify with. And then one of my favorites, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people just whimsically fan- fantasizing about, Oh, and my dream is just to be a professional musician on the road, have no worries, have no care. And I'm like, I know a lot of people who do that, and that's not the lifestyle. Yeah. But one of the things you, you hit on, and, and it made me think back, is uh, you were talking about, uh, to jump back a little bit to Japan, years ago, and it's close to 20 years ago now, I played at Gilman with this band from Japan called Coppice Grinder. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who they were. Where All I know is they were from Japan. And my friend was like, you've got to, when this you see this band, this will change your life. And you were talking about the different approach to music and I remember this band was so amazing it was three guitar players and a drummer and one of the guitar the guitar players not one guitar player was dedicated rhythm or lead or anything like that they were 
they were all working together to work through these different parts. There's something you rarely see with a Western rock band. Right. And, but the thing that really blew my mind is I could hear the bass guitar through the whole thing. And the bass was being made through a combination of drum hits and guitar. Wow. And the guitar, one of the, the guitarists were somehow creating the bass sound through coordination with, and it was just, it really was exactly what the person said. Your mind will be completely blown by this experience. And so I can really relate to that because it's, it was a, it was a collective approach to music that I've never seen before. Yeah. I think on some level, like, um, We've tried to do that in Gu Guantanamo School of Medicine uh, with the guitar playing and the bass playing, like, you know, trying to, um, you know, again, because of Biafra's sort of approach of it, again, I hate to keep saying orchestrated, but like, you know, where it's like a non sort of hierarchical, it's like you're you're thinking more in terms of what's good for the composition like you're th right. thinking more in terms of what's good for the song you know and uh like i hate it when i go and see a band and i t then i talk to my friends my musician friends and i'm like oh man those guys were good and it's like yeah that's a great drummer that's great you know like right and i think all the best bands are sort of like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right, you know? That's a great band. I mean, versus, I yeah. like the, I, one of the things, one of the examples I always come back to for that sort of group mind is Fugazi is mm -hmm. I think probably because I, I think people get lost in um, the ideology of what they were doing and they forget that what they were doing musically was also really radical in that um just use it like the way that they sort of would swell sort of the uh, feedback and and you know just the, the way that things were layered in these uh in these ways where there's nothing was really wasted yeah. you know like it wasn't uh nothing was really extraneous you know and i i think that musicians you know, we all get caught up in this, like, look at me kind of thing. You know, like, I do it. Like, I'm the first guy to just, like, rip off some kind of, like, <laughs> totally radical solo. You know what I mean? But it's like, when I get back into it, like, the thing where you really, uh, where you really rise into something um, great is is when musicians are, like, kind of leaving their egos at the door and sort of serving the the greater whole of the composition of the song. And I like to, you know, and I like to kind of be in the moment. I, I love performing. That's the thing is I, I really like playing live. Right. Um, because I like the, the energy of the exchange of energy between the, the audience and, and the band. And like, and if you can ramp that up, like to be able to feel that experience, is really incredible you know I, I love recording too i mean i just again it's like i think that there's every every aspect of being a musician is really um i mean there's people that specialize in recording there's people that specialize in right. playing live there's you know and the reason for that is because all of those aspects of being a musician are you know like like a lifetime journey of learning in themselves so to do more than one of them is you know, to be, have to be open to a lot of things, you know? Yeah, I know. What you, I mean, the longer I do any of this, the every time I do one thing, I realize there's so much more I have to learn. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. Because I don't feel that there's ever anything that limits the experience that music can offer. Right. So. And so I think ultimately, uh, I've been just thinking a lot about how I think that human beings, you know, not just musicians, but as humans, we need encouragement a lot mm -hmm. and uh and i think that um you know so many times i'll listen to aspiring musicians and people talk about you know they'll disparage their own things like i suck you know like that that kind of thing that that attitude where it's like you know you just can't think of anything good to say about your own stuff and i right. think it comes back to that thing that we were talking about earlier where it's like nobody ever told me i couldn't do it you know and it's just kind of like deciding, 
um, this is what I have to say and not limiting myself versus like, oh, you know, this is what the market is buying right now or this is what right. all my friends are listening to or nobody's going to think that's cool or whatever. It's like, um, because, you know, any breakthrough in music and in the arts and in science or anything has always come because people have been willing to flaunt conviction, uh, con convention, right. like just you know, forget about it. Like throw out what doesn't work and, and uh, like, you know, build on what came before and, and tweak it and just take it to some other place. And, um, you know, to me, that's, that's the part of it that's exciting to me is like getting in the room and like, um, like trying to explore, uh, What's interesting about a new song, about a new composition, about, you know, like, oh, I got this weird new pedal, I can make this fucking strange sound, you know, it's like, and building a song around that. Like, so much of pop music these days, it's really interesting because a lot of the hooks and things, like, songs these days are really built around, like, a beat, and then, like, maybe one wrong note or something. There's that mm -hmm. one hook, you know, like, so it's interesting because you got to keep trying to think of ways that you can subvert that paradigm you know is there anything we haven't talked about that you really want to talk about you know i'll talk all day you know if you let me I, I, <laughs> i'm with you on that well let me ask you one more question then well two more really but the first one is it's one we like to ask the guests on the show is what does music mean to you it's like it's like a freedom of expression i'm really super grateful that i get to have this gift that i get to share with people and that I'm really stoked, actually, that there's still sort of compositions, songs coming out of me, like, you know, that that's coming through me, like somehow it's, you know, that I still have this ability to do it, mm -hmm. you know, like to me. Um, and so having had a, you know, a life where I've been fortunate enough to play all over the world and meet people and... Um, and make friends and you know you get people writing letters like you know your your record saved my life and you know and you know and love you guys so much and uh, it's just um, it's really an incredible experience that you know I'm super just blown away by you know and um, so it's like it's communication that's really what it what it means and I I think that uh so much of what is lacking in society and uh, and just um, yeah politics and everything is really coming down to just a lack of human beings being able to communicate with each other mm -hmm. um, on a level where we're really experiencing each other as as humans rather than as whatever stereotypes you know like. Right kind of like this anti-reductionist thing it's kind of a heady answer i think but uh um works yeah no i mean it's like i really like the ability to channel my emotions and sort of have this catharsis with the events in my life and the things that um bother me or move me <clears throat> and be able to translate those into something that um that other people can kind of relate to, so. Cool, thank you. Uh, the final question, and it's it's more of a, a I guess, a practical question, it simply is, uh, is there places people can go to access your music? I know there's plenty online, but are there websites you'd want to direct people to, to get more information about you, about your band, about your projects? Well, most of the things I've done have been all alternative tentacles records, so there's like, uh, there's, a lot of bio information, you know, music for sale and stuff on alternativetentacles.com. There's victimsfamily.com, which is, you know, updated very sporadically. Okay. I'm, I've just put up the, thefreakaccident.com again and uh, started to put up... Uh, I'm, I'm kind of putting up um, various projects that I've put there for kind of free download. Mm, and cool. uh, And, um, yeah, those things. You can check out St. Rose saintroserecords.com which is a, a label from Santa Rosa that reissued uh, White Bread Blues um, Victim's Family's third record 
uh, a couple of years ago. And so, uh, yeah, those places are good to check us out. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us today and uh, look forward to hearing and seeing what you come up with next. Thanks, Eric. Great, thank you. Thanks again to Eric and Ralph for a great interview. I'm your host, Dan Sauter, and you're listening to Music Live Radio, and we'll catch you next time.